Welcome to my video. Central banks' crisis policies will not end well or why we need a free market for money. We know it from medicine. Drugs intended to alleviate suffering often have undesirable side effects. Or it even turns out that a drug is actually the cause of an illness. Thinking along these lines brings me to central banks. They are widely seen as indispensable for providing stable money for promoting growth and jobs. And when there are financial and economic crises, central bank action is widely seen as the cure, the solution to the crisis. But what if we find out that monetary policy itself is the cause of recurring ever greater crises? That it cannot solve the crises it causes at all? This is exactly the conclusion reached by the monetary business cycle theory of the Austrian School of Economics, which is associated with names such as Karl Menger, Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich August von Hayek. According to the Austrians, the increase in the money supply through bank lending, that is the issuance of unbacked money or fiat money, artificially lowers market interest rates. This in turn sets into motion an artificial economic upswing, a boom, which however must collapse and end in a downturn, a bust. In the hour of need, central banks are typically called upon to fight the crisis, with even more, with even lower interest rates and even more credit and money. While central banks may eventually turn the bust into a new boom, the associated interest rate cuts and injection of additional credit and money increase the misallocation of capital. For instance, low lending rates lower the cost of capital and keep unproductive firms alive. Good companies find it more difficult to gain market share. Artificially lowered interest rates do not only prevent accumulated imbalances from being corrected, but they also cause further misallocations. Scarce resources are no longer channeled into the hands of the most efficient producers and people's material wealth is dwindling. Central banks' downward manipulation of interest rates has far-reaching consequences for people's values and morals, because it drives their time preference up. The one satisfaction in the present, which people already value more highly than the one satisfaction in the future, now seems even more urgent. Patience, forbearance and renunciation become less and less attractive. People are consuming more and saving less even at the expense of future want satisfaction. This in turn drives up the consumption of natural resources compared to a situation in which the interest rate would not have been artificially lowered. The regime of artificially low interest rates means that the banking system in particular is getting bigger and bigger and for better or for worse has to be financed by taxpayers in times of crisis because the public believes it can no longer afford the bankruptcy of big banks. Above all, low borrowing costs are tempting 
consumers and producers, especially the state, to increasingly use credit to finance their spending. And because the increase in the level of credit rises faster than incomes over time, the economy's debt burden grows. In other, in other words, the adherence to a policy of lowering interest rates and increasing credit and money supply, especially in boom and bust cycles, drives the economies towards over-indebtedness. The data support this theoretical concern. The Institute of International Finance estimates that in the third quarter of 2022, the total global debt stood at 290 trillion US dollars and thus amounted to around 343% of global economic output. Against this backdrop, it is probably no longer possible to raise interest rates back to normal levels of the past without collapsing the credit pyramid and with it the production and employment structure it has helped create. Especially since the current debt was built up with extremely low interest rates in some currency areas, even with negative nominal and real interest rates. This makes the economies increasingly vulnerable to permanently higher borrowing costs. The situation has become even more precarious of late, as consumer price inflation has soared to sky-high levels in many countries. It puts many people in dire straits, fueling political anger and protests, and inflation, if it persists, threatens to erode confidence in fiat currencies, be it the US dollar, the euro, or other fiat currencies. Therefore, the world's major central banks have set out to raise interest rates to curb goods price inflation. If you follow the Austrians' theory, however, such policy is likely to trigger another bust. The economic and political structures it, uh, that emerged in the cause of the artificially low interest rate policy can no longer be maintained when interest rates rise. Central banks' monetary policy, which essentially consists of expanding the quantity of fiat money, preferably through bank lending, does not only keep the economies stuck in boom and bust cycles. It is also heading for a bad ending in the truest sense of the word. Experience teaches that in times of economic and financial distress, let alone in times of a deep crisis, both the rulers and the ruled consider increasing the money supply to settle unpaid bills as the policy of the least evil, as an evil that is considered acceptable to escape an allegedly even greater evil. This does not stand in the way of the fact that major central banks around the world are currently tightening their monetary policy. Because if another crisis hits, it probably will not be long before policymakers change course and return to a rescue policy of lowering interest rates and expanding the credit and money supply perhaps even if inflation is still sky-high. In the prevailing intellectual climate of our time, the ensuing wave of inflation would most likely provoke large-scale government interventions. They would try to fund additional spending with newly printed fiat money 
while covering up the inflationary consequences at the same time. The most likely scenario is that governments will gradually shut down the free market, primarily by setting price ceilings for scarce goods and price floors for abundant goods. Maximum prices set below their market clearing level lead to underproduction and supply shortages, and minimum prices set above their market clearing level lead to overproduction and a waste of scarce resources. The result is economic chaos. As the government tries to eliminate these consequences through more and more market interventions, it eventually turns the system into a command economy or even full-blown socialism. What can we do if we want to get rid of chronic inflation and bouts of sky-high inflation, of recurring boom and bust, of a, of a relentlessly expanding state apparatus that is repressing, even destroying individual freedom and liberty and economic prosperity? The solution is not to implement better monetary policy, not to appoint wiser central bank councils. Rather, it consists of restoring money to what it has been for the longest time in monetary history, a phenomenon of the free market. That has always worked very well. Just think of the gold money florin in the late Middle Ages, which was used from 12th 52 to 1533, or the silver unit of account Mark Banco, on which merchants in the German city-state of Hamburg and their business partners could successfully build from 1621 to 1875. The lesson from the history of currency is very simple. You have to give people the freedom to choose their money. They must be free to choose the good that suits their monetary needs best. And people must also be free to offer their fellow men a good they will voluntarily use as money. Ultimately, those who demand money decide what is used as money. And of course, they will choose good money. They will, cho they will choose sound money just as they will choose good sneakers, good vacations and good computers over bad ones. What will be chosen as money cannot be said with certainty in advance. After all, the free market is a discovery process. However, from today's perspective, precious metals, gold and silver or crypto units Bitcoin could win the race. Most importantly, there is no central bank and no policy for setting interest rates and changing the money supply in a free market for money. Monetary-driven crises would end. Scarce capital could be directed to the most urgent uses, much better than in the current fiat money system. And the prosperity of the general population would be promoted. The state could no longer become ever more powerful at the expense of the freedoms of citizens and entrepreneurs so easily. Above all, wars would be very expensive in a free market for money and the world would be more peaceful as a result. When people realize that the consequences of the state and its central bank monopolizing the production of money and issuing fiat money, when the truth about fiat money comes out, 
when people are introduced to the idea of having a free market for money, then the call to create a free market for money will be compelling and almost irresistible because it paves the way to better money that, promising, that promises a better world. Thank you very much for your attention. If you enjoyed the video, please like it, share it, ring the bell and most importantly, follow my channel.